Gaming NBS episode 191 coming to you Wednesday, May 16th, 2018. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Good to have you here. How you doing, Sean? Oh, man, I think I got a toothache. You do? That sucks. Yeah, I don't know. I woke up this morning and uh, it's just been really aggravating me and I think it's getting worse, which you, is really what, awesome. You know what you need? This means your whiskey count is low. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it, might, it might go up exponentially if, if the, this thing If you don't worse. take care of the toothache, yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, before we go too far from the, uh, I want to make sure we take time to do this. Today is Mother's Day. We're recording this on May 13th. So, yes, yes, yes. There are a lot of gaming moms out there. And even if you're not a gaming mom, uh, if your mom helped you in any way, my mom, I've talked about this on the show, um, was wonderful. She was, she's the one that, the reason I game is because my mother, she got me to read The Hobbit and all that stuff because she loved Tolkien. And she was one of my first Middle Earth role-playing RPGers. My first, <laughs> the first people I ever DM'd for, so uh, it's awesome that uh, our moms have uh, supported us all this time. So if you haven't called your mom and said Happy Mother's Day, do that. Send her a card. Do something. Damn it! Come on, it's mom. Be nice. Anyway, Sean, speaking of moms, how's yours doing? Oh, much better, thank you. Good. Yes, she's at home treating her appendicitis with antibiotics. So very good. Yeah, very, very good. Very good. I, I had brunch with mom today. Oh, good. Yeah. Good for you. I think she won some money at the casino. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Be- that was before she told me that she was probably going to leave this world broke and that my sister and I wouldn't get any money from her. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, look, mom, save that up. Save that up for us. I distinctly remember my grandmother, my dad's mom, talking about this big trip to Australia she was going to do with a bunch of ladies she was, she'd been friends with forever, long before my grandmother's dead now, but... And my dad said, I don't know, Ma, sounds like a lot of money. He goes, yeah, Ron, I know. He goes, yeah, because what are you going to leave me? And she looked at him. He goes, Mom, it's your money. Spend it. I don't need it. That's fine. Go, go. <laughs> Neither, no one in my family is rich. So like, look, it's yours. Spend it. Do it as you got to do. You don't have to leave me anything. I'm cool. Yeah, so thanks to moms everywhere, because without ours, we wouldn't be here today. Hell yeah. So there we go. All right, announcements-wise, GameholeCon, GameholeCon.com, November, submissions for events is open. If you're planning to run, what the hell are you doing? Get it out there. Make it happen. Do it. Run some games. Guilty. Guilty. I I know. I'm just going to keep saying this. You can tell Sean has put his games in because Brett will stop mentioning this at the top of every show. Yeah, it's on my (laughs) to-do list. But anyway, uh, if if you are so inclined to do so, uh, we would love it if you ran it under the Gaming and BS banner. That would be most awesome if you could do that for us. That'd be great. And, uh, yeah, hope to see you at GameholeCon. And um, speaking of really cool things, friends of the show, Eloy LaSanta has his latest Kickstarter is live, Part-Time Gods of Fate 2nd Edition. We had poked at that earlier. Uh, Sean and I had a chance, Eloy being a scholar and a gentleman, had sent us a quick start for the uh, Part-Time Gods of Fate 2nd ad, and it looks pretty goddamn cool. So, we're hoping we can actually get Aloy on the show to talk about um, just gods in general in gaming and so forth. Not looking to have it like be a, like a Kickstarter pimpy thing, but we really like to get Aloy on the show and just kind of chew the fat with the man, see what he's got to say about gods and gaming. 
Todd Crapper thought that would be a good idea. Ah, uh, yes, thank you, Sean. Yeah, credit where credit is due. Todd, uh, another scholar and a gentleman, Mr. Crapper, said, "Hey, Aloy, gods, hello in gaming." There we are. You've asked Todd, and we have asked. Uh, we will ask Aloy and see what we can do. Schedules being schedules, we'll do our damnedest to get him on here. Any other announcements, man? No. All right, let's random encounter it up. All right. You want to start? Sure. Go for it. Emailed suggestion from Matt Cyberlich. I had you do this one because I can never pronounce Matt's name correctly, and I always look like an idiot. Fair enough. First, great job with the podcast. I've listened to quite a few and keep coming back to yours, which says quite a lot in my opinion. Show idea. Since Sean usually runs published adventures, I'd be interested to hear him take one that is pretty popular, say Lost Minds of Fandalver, and discuss how he tweaked it for his own game. The process of how and why he might have altered plot, monsters, NPCs, and other elements would be super cool insight. Thanks, and keep up the quality cast. You know, that's actually a pretty damn good idea, Matt. What do you think, Sean? Would you would you be up for such a thing? I would be up for it. My only caveat to that is sometimes the tweaks and changes that I impose is typically in a reaction mode from the player characters. So it may be a little tricky for me to sit down and say, well, you know, this could go this way or this could go that way and, and make it that kind of approach where it would be more in the moment. True, but after that first moment occurs, an adjustment has been made, and you, then you begin preparation for sessions two, three, and four. After that fact, you have that adjustment you've made, and what has that done to the rest of your approach to the entire dungeon? Well, it totally screws up everything for me, and I usually shit-can the campaign after that. So That's true. No, that's I very don't, true. That's, I don't yeah, that's a good idea, though. That's good it, stuff, Matt. And taking an adventure like Lost Minds of Fandelver, it's it's out there. It's been out for quite some time. I think we could do that fairly spoiler-free. And uh, I have taken a couple published adventures myself and beat the living hell out of them, so that could be interesting. But Sean does it more than I do, so all right. That goes in the hopper. We shall see what we do. Thanks for the suggestion, Matt. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me, Crim fan commented, says, hey guys, it's been a while, work has been kicking my butt, so I just picked a show that was interesting. Apropos your topic for episode 185, while it's not specifically laid out, 5e has a useful mechanism to represent a group searching and other group tasks where multiple characters are trying to combine their efforts. That mechanism is advantage, <clears throat> so here's how I've been doing it. If a group of characters is making a check, declare one character the leader and represent any help by giving advantage on the leader. In general, A, in general, the leader should be a PC, not an NPC, particularly in social situations. B, any buffs or debuffs apply to the leader. And C, I, uh, <clears throat> I tend to limit helping by requiring proficiency, although it depends on the situation. As we all know in real life, noobs tend to, quote-unquote, help, uh, not help so much. So I may well throw disadvantage for a particularly useless helper. D, recall that advantage does not stack and one advantage can eliminate disadvantage. So if you happen to have a particularly challenging task of some sort, it has disadvantage per se, you may be able to get enough bodies on a problem, have it solved, or even get advantage. However, sheer bodies can't solve every problem. In this system, static modifiers really bite, whereas disadvantage can be overcome with numbers. E, a bit of organization helps, too. In Adventures of Middle-Earth, the 5v adaptation of the One Ring, their party roles, such as Lookout, Scout, Hunter, and Guide, the lookout is ordinarily the character making perception checks unless it's clear they can't or it doesn't apply. 
That way you prevent the pack mentality of, oh, I can roll two. No, you're not on lookout, is the answer. F, another way to adapt the 4E skill challenge by requiring 5E successes before two failures or whatever. If too many people are piling on but aren't any good at the task, they may well accumulate those failures rather quickly. In other games, you can adapt similar mechanisms, but the main thing is that there should be some kind of diminishing returns for piling on. You guys mentioned this in the teamwork rules, but I figure it's worth writing it out because it's a very good way to keep things from getting out of hand. As to group perception checks, lots of times it's totally fine that everybody rolls, such as a surprise check. Huh. You know, Crim fan, the thing I... One piece in there, I really... Not one piece. The one thing that jumps out at me, I should say not the only thing I like, is the idea is that if too many people pile on, accumulate those failures quickly, right? There should be diminishing returns for the number of people you pile on, right? You can only fit five characters in the hole to dig out the rocks, Putting twenty in the hole, it just gets in the way. So I get that. That's a good. That's a good piece. And as always, Crimfan has a nicely laid out response to anything that we've done. So thank you very much, Sean. You got anything on that one? No, thanks, Crimfan. Some good stuff. Very cool. I think we should go on to the main topic. Right. Brett and I have a guest on the show today. I want to introduce Jeff Martin. Jeff is the person behind the infamous True Dungeon. And if you've been living under a rock for the last few years, True Dungeon is quite the experience. We're going to talk to Jeff a little bit about that in the next few minutes. Jeff, welcome to Gaming NBS. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, it's good to have you, man. So I'll tell you what, Jeff, let's, I'm just going to, we'll start off with this one. What if, when someone comes up to you and they're like, what the hell is True Dungeon anyway? How would, how, what's, uh, what's your pitch for when someone wants to know what it's all about? Is it, do you just say, oh, it's like an escape room D&D themed or how do you, how do you describe it to, to the uh, idiot like myself who's not going through it? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's actually changed over our 16 year history. Um, we were we came along well before escape room. So before that, I kind of describe it as it's uh, like an interactive um, sword and sorcery type adventure, you know. And uh, you got to you get to solve puzzles, fight some monsters, meet some NPCs, have some fun. Uh, but now that the escape room thing's kind of taken off, it's it's a little easier for people to uh, wrap their heads around. We we say it's kind of like a escape room, except you move to multiple rooms and um, you get to fight some things with our simulated combat, and there's some other physical challenges that you get to to face, all while trying to be immersed in this like two hour story in a really cool medieval fantasy setting. That. That is cool. Now, is this? Um, I have LARPed in the past, and I know friends of friends of the show and people that Sean and I have met are you know LARPers, either like Vampire Star LARPs or even the the foam the foam weapons and stuff. Is this one of those type of events where it's LARP based, or you know people in street clothes and just kind of dive into it? Sure. Yeah, it's a good, another good question. Yeah, it's a little strange. Um, I uh, we have people that dress up and they try to play a character and have fun, but it's not really set into the game to do that. The reason I called it True Dungeon was because I wanted it to feel like you were really it was you in the environment, right? So we have it all set up where instead of you getting a character that you have to spend mental energy to maintain, you know, 
Um, you just spend all your focus on trying to live, <laughs> trying to survive. And so if there's a trap on the wall, you have to find it like with your own, you know, uh, searching, whatever you, whatever you can do, whatever you can do, uh, you do. There's no rolling. There's no characters that have like a certain thing. It's just uh, you against the dungeon. So that's why we call it true dungeon. But I mean, we have people that dress up and have fun and do all that. But for me, I just wanted something a little different. It's something that would, I thought the most immersion um, that I could provide is where I don't ask people to play a character. Oh, it's just you and, uh, and what you can do against the dungeon. That's cool. So I could. So if there's potentially a trap on the wall, it behooves if Sean and I are in there with our group, it behooves us to do. Okay, you check that wall. I'll check this one. You know, physically putting your hands on the wall, looking for whatever the problem may or may not be. So you're you're lifting, you're moving, you're poking, you're prodding. Okay. Yeah, like you, you might be going down like a hallway, and you notice this big like scorch mark on one side of the hallway, and you might go, "Oh, I wonder where that came from." And then you look over the opposite side, and you'll see this little hole sticking out of the you know the the the, the door or the wall, and so you want to kind of avoid uh, that area because it obviously had been tripped in the past, that kind of thing. So, Jeff, you mentioned. You've had this around for 16 years, is that right? Yes, this is our 16th year. Yep. Wow. So how did it come to be? What what would you woke up wake up one day and figured you'd put together this this behemoth of a exhibit? Yeah, I just kind of got a hand. Uh, <laughs> um no, what what had happened is I I have uh, lived in a college town, Carbondale, Illinois, um, since the '80s, and um, had all these great friends, gamers that would come to town, stay for four years, sometimes five or six, because they were gamers. Um, but eventually they would graduate, and then they would leave. So that kind of sucked. So I started having this thing called the first one was called Giant City Con, which is a uh, state park near here, and. So we, I'd get all these people that moved away to come back, and it was on Halloween weekend, and we uh, rented a cabin and just gamed all weekend long. It was awesome. And to make it special, I wanted to do, like, a really cool D&D, like, tournament, team tournament. So I divided, like, it was, like, 12 people. Um, we divided them up into, like, three groups of four. And to make it really cool, I decided I wanted to do, with like, props. So I made, like, I, took, I got, like, a rabbit skin um and like drew some cryptic clues on it i had a trap chest i made that kind of thing and that was like 1996 i think and then over the years i got more and more involved um, where i made more and more elaborate props and puzzles and that kind of thing eventually we moved to uh, a hotel that had uh, i rented out a suite and actually physically with wood and uh studs and all that and i created like the final room with a secret door and all this really cool stuff um so f f that was the span over five or six years on that one year that i uh made that really cool room um uh stefan picorni from dorvin forge fame um who i'd worked for at his booth for a while decided to come to jeff con he had a great time in um was blown away by the, the the rooms and the props and the puzzles so about three months later he was sitting having a beer with peter atkinson who owned gen con um 
And he was talking about how they were moving to Indy and he had all this room and he wanted to make some big event and he wanted to make like a maze or something that would be really cool that people could go through. And that's when Stefan said, I know this crazy dude named Jeff who like makes rooms and props and sets and stuff. Talk to him. So I talked to Peter on the phone for a while. He seemed interested. He wasn't, I don't think he was quite sure if I was crazy enough to do it. Um, so I decided to send him an explosive scroll tube. <laughs> Just <laughs> that, to, oh, that, yeah. that is, that's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah this is like, yeah, this was uh, like five months after 9-11. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I made this really cool old scroll tube and I invited him to the next Jeff Con. And I put these like, uh, they're called Chinese firecrackers where they've got like two pull yep. strings on them. And when you pull them apart, so I trapped the scroll tube. So if, no matter which way you opened it, it was gonna gonna fire off. Um, and inside was the was a um, invitation. But I warned some of the people in the staff that this might happen, so just so they weren't freaking out. But anyway, he loved it. He thought it was funny as hell, and um, he came. He came to Jeffcott and flew out in the middle of nowhere, Marion, Illinois. Um, took a one hopper to. Uh, JeffCon 2003, and uh, he went through my little adventure again. Again, the final room I built in the suite, and um, we went and had pancakes the next day at Bob Evans next door, and that's where True Dungeon was born. He basically said, here's $5,000, spend it all, um, make me a cool event, and have fun, and that was that wow. was it. So I it was in March, and Gen Con was in August, so I had not that long. So we, uh, I just basically designed it so it was uh, what I would want to play. And luckily, four months later, um, people loved it, and it's been growing ever since. So which Gen Con was that that you premiered at, Jeff? It was the first one at uh, Indianapolis, 2003. Yeah, we were in the Hyatt uh, little 8,000-square-foot ballroom. And now we're in a uh, roughly 50,000 square foot in Lucas Oil Stadium. Wow. I, <laughs> that's, a bit of, that's a bit of growth. Went from $5,000 in a bunch of plywood and some really cool ideas to, I've heard tales of animatronic dragons and um, all sorts of craziness. So, holy cow. Congrats, man. That is awesome. That is very cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a lot, a lot of work, but it's been a lot, a lot of fun, too. So, how do you take 50,000? Something that fits in a fifty thousand square foot area. What is that? What does that consist of? Five semi trucks? What is that? You are amazing. Five semi trucks is what we took last year to Gen Con. They were completely full. He was um, totally guessing what you're showing. You were totally yeah, guessing. Totally guessing. You Damn. guessed. And these were full, extra wide, fifty three foot trailers, as big as we could fit. And uh, yeah, we filled up all five of them. How many? What, what do you have from like a staff perspective? I'm sure you've got like volunteers, people who are more than happy to, you know, spread the word, take tickets, do that stuff. But how many people actually within it are doing stuff? You know, actors, you know, people doing bit parts or whatever. How many people does it take to pull the sucker? Yeah, off? How many? How many you got involved, Jeff? Yeah, well, it depends on the con. Um, our biggest one, of course, is Gen Con. We've been doing it a while. We just sold over eight thousand tickets for it in less than twenty four hours when they. Came available uh, a couple weeks ago. 
on the Gen Con site. That was really cool to see. Um, I guess it means we're doing something right. Um, but to take to put this something on the size of Gen Con, we run from like 8.30 in the morning, and the last people leave about 1.30 in the morning. So we run almost 19, 20 hours a day for three days. It's, it's insane. So we have two shifts. Um, to build it, we, it takes three days. We get there Monday morning. We build Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We have 40 to 50 people that are, all they do is come in those three days and build the event. And then we have another about 220 people come in and run the event. Wow. And they run that for three days. And then we have a bunch of people come in on Sunday morning basically everybody it's all hands and we tear it all down really quick on sunday um because we have to load it in the trucks monday morning wow i i run a small gaming convention up in my hometown about you know 1500 people and uh up in wasa wisconsin and uh that is crazy enough for me i don't wow the the <laughs> the coordination skills you you and your team must have to be able to pull that off that is amazing that is awesome well Luckily, we've you know we've grown slowly over the sixteen years, so we've kind of you know we've figured we've made all the mistakes. Believe me, probably more than once. Um, But we've uh, we have like recently we just launched a website tdvols.com where people can go and apply and get all the information they need. And it used to be done with like woofoo forms and all kinds of stuff, but this is really nice now. Like before their schedule, they're going to get a text. You know, like they're scheduled to start at noon at 11 a.m. They're going to get a text on their phone saying, hey, your shift starts in about an hour. Be ready. Here's what you need to know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, we're, we're getting there. We're getting more and more organized and um, got some great people that uh, help put it all on. Wow. So one of the things that, that's really interesting, at least, so part that, that shit's really cool. <laughs> that, that is amazing how you pull it off. So when I walk in, if and maybe this is easier in theory to do than it is in practice, but when you start off and you come into that first room, the first antechamber hallway, um, is it? It's pretty much you know you just you you turn loose. I mean, how do you get people when they walk in that front door and they they know what they're supposed to do, right? Is do you guys have hey you are you new here? Do you have an intro for them or hey your old hands just jump in? What's the preamble like? You know what I'm saying? Well, over the years, we've developed this pretty cool way to do it. Um, we have what's called coaching rooms. And so there's 10 people in a group, and we've got these little rooms that have uh, like a U-shaped type of setup with 10 ch- uh, chairs. And then the dunge- uh, the coach hangs out in the middle of that U, and uh, they basically spend 24 minutes with them to answer all their questions, get their characters ready. We have, you know, help them figure out what tokens they want to equip with and that kind of thing. Um, if it's a bunch of, uh, veterans, you know, usually they just hang out and to chat with the coach and, you know, it's not a big thing, but if it's a complete group of newbies never played before the coach will use a full 24 minutes to do as much as he can to, uh, get the group ready, answer their questions and send them into the next room, which is the training room. And in there they spend 12 minutes and that's where they practice their class skill. So if you're like a a rogue, you've got this like operation type skill you have to do where you have to uh, guide this metal stylus through a maze on top of a treasure chest. And if you get it through 
then you can open the chest. Um, inside is a token, a uh, free treasure that you can take for yourself, or you can look at the clue, which could help the whole party out. Um, so it's kind of, it's the rogue's choice. Do they want to screw the party or do they want to take the clue? So that's Classic kind of rogue dilemma. Yep, classic. <laughs> and then there's like fighter types that practice our combat system, um, which sounds kind of lame, but it's a sl uh, like a, uh, um, uh, what's the term, uh, kind of air hockey type thing, um, shuffleboard. Yeah, I've heard it described, yeah, the shuffleboard thing. So when we're talking about tokens, I'm just, <clears throat> for a second, so these tokens are, about the size of like a US 50 cent piece, if I recall last time I saw one, they were kind of a heavy plastic. And apart from, so that's how you have gear, am I correct? Like weapons and um, specialized equipment and so forth, that's the markers you carry with you? Yeah, it, it, it all started with like the first year we didn't have, the first True Dungeon we didn't have any kind of tokens. But we wanted to, we just didn't have time. Because, I mean, the classic thing with D&D, right, is you get treasure. you got to have treasure. It's not a cool D&D simulation unless you can get some treasure and equip your character, that kind of thing. So the second year, um, we came up with these tokens that represent the gear that you can find. Or, um, like, we had them in the dungeon. Um, uh, there's, like, you know... Any kind of gear you can have in D&D, you can find pretty much on a token. They're, now they're uh, full color, really high resolution, um, heavy gold chips. One side is our logo, but the other side is this really nice illustration in full color. And um, they're really durable. You can believe me, I've tried to <laughs> I've tried to reuse them, and it's almost impossible to get the, the thing off and uh, do it well, but um, in any kind of fast way. But... Uh, uh, the big thing with the tokens is they most of them just last forever. We still have people because it's like real a real item, right? So if you've got a sword from 10 years ago, you can still use it. Some people do. If it's a consumable like a scroll or a potion or, you know, like some kind of healing thing, then you actually have to turn it in to use it. And we have these like treasure buckets in every room. So if you want to drink a potion of healing, you actually give it to the DM and um, you heal yourself. Nice. I have seen the eBay listings. I have seen folks online selling the tokens. So I know there's sure. I know there's an aftermarket for it where people have stuff. And um, so, like, talk about the combat for a second. So when we say shuffleboard, what does that look like? Am I trying to knock down a pin? Am I trying to skate the skate the puck, if you will, onto a, a hit location or something? How's that function? Sure. It's um, the the table's uh, three foot wide, eight foot long. Um, and on it, we have like a kind of a black and white image um, of the outline of a monster. And there's different areas that are uh, designated with different numbers. So like the closer you get to the like vital areas of the monster, the higher the numbers go usually. So like if you want to score like a 20, usually it's somewhere like near the head or something. Um so the the object of the game, the object of the thing, of course, is just just to hit, get your token to land, your slider to land on a number that your character would hit with the AC of the whatever the monster is. Um, what's cool about the system is, and I didn't really realize it until we started playing around with it, is it there's a lot of tactics in team play because um, you may slide pretty badly. But you may uh, be, you know, like the, the barbarian, and if you do hit, you do a really a lot of damage. So maybe the next guy up who's maybe the rogue, <clears throat> a newbie rogue that doesn't 
doesn't really have much of a weapon could actually um, bump your token or your slider there's these little uh, plastic things that the tokens go in um, and that could actually bump you into like a 20 so you would crit so it kind of simulates if you can imagine 10 people fighting one single monster you might take a jab at the monster which causes the monster to jump back from your sword and right into the you know the axe of the barbarian kind of thing so it's kind of a cool simulation of how how that would all work and there's some interesting strategies that the that people use to make it a lot of fun do the critters fight back i assume have you got do, do we have a pile of dead player characters at the end of every session yeah they do um they get tougher as you get farther in the dungeon of course um on that we just use a classic d20 that way there's no um you know the the DM isn't involved with his skill. It's just a, and it's faster just to have the, he rolls a couple attacks and, um, it gets resolved pretty fast that way. Okay. So when, when people encounter a monster, is that a person? Is it, I, I, like I said, I heard tales of the animatronic dragon. Is it actually a prop like that? Is it a person in costume? How, how is that rep represented? Sure. Um, it, it uh, really depends on the situation. Um, you might run into an animatronic dragon that's you know flies up in the air and breathes fog on you. It's pretty cool. Or you might run into uh, Falurian, um, who's just this uh, NPC sitting on a throne in a wooded area. Or it could be um, somebody in a. Um, it's like behind a, a wall of uh, iron bars and they're, they're a wizard throwing spells at you through the iron bars so your fighters can't like uh, melee with them and everything has to be like missile or they have to try to bend the bars to get at them, that kind of thing. So it really just depends on the situation. Try to always vary it up um, and uh, we try to make it as fun as we can. Very cool. Very, very cool. So how many different – is it – do you follow the – this, the current standard for like classes and races and stuff right out of Wizards D&D or is it kind of a homebrew in that perspective? I mean, we mentioned rogues and wizards and barbarians, kind of your classics, but do you do you go all in like Tieflings, Dragonborn, that type of stuff or how, 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 are, you, how are you sitting there? Um, we're kind of just a hybrid thing. We Like I said, we started 16 years ago and at the time it was third edition, right? And we, we kind of went a little bit third edition, but I was kind of an old timer. We still called it backstabbing instead of sneak attack. Yep. <laughs> yeah. At the time. I still have a hard time with rogue. I keep wanting to say thief. You know, every time I see the thief, I'm like, it's a damn thief, people. Yeah, I hear you. I think the first Gen Con I misspelled rogue and it was rouge <laughs> on the card. It was really embarrassing. I never, you know, I didn't know what the heck a rogue was anyway. But anyway, uh, yeah, mostly it's closest third edition probably. Okay. All right. Let's see. So very hands-on escape room style. And for those who don't know, escape rooms are basically, it's very hands-on where you're, <clears throat> you pick up, you move, and you adjust things. So my assumption, Jeff, is if I see a painting on the wall... I'm free to walk up and say, hey, I want to search behind it. I don't look at a game master and say, can I search behind it? I just go up and move the painting if it's possible. Is that, am I correct in that? Yeah, most of the time. Um, there may be some situations where the DM might say, hey, you know, a lot of this stuff is, uh, you know, he might, there, one out of 10 times the DM might say, you know, be a little careful with some of the stuff. If we've got some fragile props that are in there, but most of the time you're free to just see what you can find. Um, because it's so, um, 
it's so rushed and we really want that really excitement. So you, you only get 12 minutes in a room. Most of the time people are, we, we try to make it fairly obvious at the beginning what you need to do um, just to make it more fun. So there's not a lot of searching that you need to do all the time, but um, occasionally we had a puzzle last year, um, one of the Pat Rothfuss dungeons, um, where there are all these parchments hanging around in this room and the party had to split up and read them and try to find clues. That was the part of the puzzle challenge there. Okay, very cool. So obviously you don't want like Sean and I in there with Clawhammer spending hours trying to you know, tear through the studs to see what's hidden behind it. So it's sure. Okay. It's all manual. Okay. No, that makes sense. And the event is like what you said, like two hours. Did you say? Yeah. You spend, um, a total of 36 minutes, believe it or not, getting ready for mm -hmm. it. Um, we just want to make sure everybody know has everything ready to go and they're, they're going to have a good time. Um, cause it can get overwhelming with, from new people. And then you go into seven rooms, then you last 12 minutes each. So it actually comes out to exactly two minutes or two hours. Nice. Okay. And I think that the 12 minute limit makes sense, right? Kind of here's what you're supposed to do in this room, get the thing, move on to the next room because it is, it is a convention game, right? If it was, if we were just doing it for fun and we screwed up, screwed around in this room for two, three hours, the game has to just be giggling while we wasted time. But in an event like this, you want to keep it moving because you've got what? 8,000 tickets you just sold. So we've got to punch people through, but yet have it be exciting and entertaining. So that makes sense to put the limit on it. Yeah. It's, it I, the, I've played a few escape rooms, and they're 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 a lot of fun. They're similar to ours. The one problem you get with like escape rooms is like you know you we got on a bad team, and you know we we were doing poorly, and we ended up like standing around looking at each other for like a half hour because you, there's no way we could have solved the immediate issue. What's nice about True Dungeon is you get 12 minutes. You know if you don't have it done, then okay, well you take a little bit of damage. Now you get a next challenge. So there's not a whole lot of time to like, you know, there's no downtime. If you can't get a puzzle, then that's cool. You get a little damage, move on to the next one, have some fun. It's not like you have to sit there and like think about it for 20, 30 minutes. It's almost like torture. <laughs> so this, this keeps it flowing. <laughs> how big, a, how big of a, how big a teams do people normally bring in? Is this like if Sean and I were to show up at, at GameholeCon, Coming up in this November here, if we show up and is it he, me, and six of our friends? Is it eight man teams? Is it six people teams? What are you What are you looking at? It's uh, we um, provide them t uh, ten tickets per slot, so it's ten okay. people to a team. Sometimes people will buy out extra tickets, um, like they'll want to say, "Well, I just want me and my seven friends to play." So they'll they'll buy all ten tickets, and then they just turn the two tickets in and just say oh, they want. It's called ghosting. And they can basically just have an eight-player team if they want. But so. otherwise, it's much like a regular convention RPG game, right? If I'm running yeah. Shadowrun and you and Sean happen to show up, unless you also bought a ticket for your buddy and, and or your girlfriend or whatever, no, no one else is there with you, you know? It just it is luck of the draw as to who you get. Okay, that makes sense. Yep that that can be great. It can be bad. I mean, it, I'm a lot of people. <laughs> if you've been to any gaming convention, you know it can be good. It can be bad. Yeah. It's even more so in True Dungeon because it's so intense of an experience, right? You can imagine, I, I, you know, I played a lot of stuff at cons. You know, you're kind of lollygagging. You know, it's fun. You're making jokes, but True Dungeon, you paid a lot of money to enjoy it, and you're really tense and everything. So if you find a good group, a good good people that you really click with, then it's amazing. 
but it could also go the other way around where people unfortunately just meet people that they're not compatible with and it's kind of a crapshoot unfortunately that makes sense okay so you said that like the chips and things whatever you find and whatever you walk out with at the end if i've got those chips in my hand they're mine and if i come back to true dungeon the following year i'm good to use those again yeah, at the at the end of the adventure, um, we have this thing called Epilogue Room. You can do it if you want or you can just skip it. But basically, you can go up there and you can get like a what we have what's called participation tokens or like limited edition token that's kind of a souvenir. The only way you can get one is to play that adventure. And if you survive, you can get a survivor button. And um, you can also get three draws out of the random treasure generator. Because uh, if you remember in the old days, you need the most fun you'd have at the end is after you killed all the monsters in the DM. It's like, all right, it's time to roll up treasure. So this is similar to that. You, it's, you randomly pull these tokens out of a treasure chest. And they could be a fairly common one or it could be like a ultra uber rare one it's just kind of the luck of the draw kind of like rolling double lot uh double zero when you're doing treasure or something yeah that, that one time you ended up with the axe of the dwarvish lords because your game master just rolled too high on the wrong ass table <laughs> next thing you know you're a god okay i like it so where do you hold the true dungeon events so we've talked about game Con and gen con as well do you hold them at other places that was one of the pieces that Talking with uh, friends of our show, Joe Swick has played a bunch of times. He said, you know, you used to only be at Gen Con. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. Um, where else does it go besides Gen Con and Game Hole Con now? Yeah, we, we, we had offers, of course, to go to other places for many years. But I um, thought I'd keep it kind of – I had two smaller children that are starting to get older now, and they really don't like me that much anymore. So, you know, they're teenagers, so <laughs> – Oh yeah, I got five kids, dude. I got everything from like mid, uh, early, like twenty-three down to nine. Right. So, yeah, I, I got a, I got a half of them that could... enjoy that nine-year-old. <laughs> exactly, it's a little long. She still thinks dad's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be so nice. Anyway, uh, yeah. So we started going to other cons a couple years ago. Um, we go to the, the season. We say kind of starts at Gen Con. Um, that's our big granddaddy. We get three full days with like 40 or 50 people, so we can set up an amazing-looking um, event, um, which we can't really at other places, so we just don't have the time or the or the help. Um, and then that's in August, usually the first weekend. In the around the first half of November, we go to Madison, Wisconsin, go to Game Hole Con, as you'd mentioned. Um, then we go to, uh, a couple months later to Pack South in San Antonio in January. It's usually you know, like mid-January. And then the next one isn't until June right now, um, which ends up at uh, Origins Game Fair um, in Columbus. Okay. So you had mentioned like previously, if we think, <clears throat> I'm assuming the previous storylines and other adventures you had were pretty much of your own design and so forth. But and I heard you mention, mention Patrick, Patrick Rothfuss, uh, the author. He's a Wisconsin boy out of Stevens mm-hmm. Point, the King Killer Chronicles and such. And um, are you have you guys partnered up with, like, a, a, you know, Watsy, Ed Greenwood, Forgotten Realms thing? Do you seek out partnerships like that? Or, you, or is most of what your team and you create, is it mostly kind of homebrew, if you will? How do you guys go about that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, now we've never like went out and like tried to, you know, team up with anybody. Uh, you know, I'm a 
dungeon master just with 8,000 players instead of eight. But I, I still am just a DM that likes to do his own thing, you know. Um, but uh, Pat had played for three or four times, and then he came up to me and said, hey, if you ever want to do anything, this would be cool. I'd, I'd love to uh, love to have uh, True Dungeon in my world. And being a big fan of his books, I was like, oh, I can't turn this down. <laughs> so, and, you know, uh, so we talked, and I was a little worried because I'd never done anything like that before where, you know, you had to partner up with somebody. It was always my own thing. I didn't have to, you know, compromise or anything. But it was a pleasure working with Pat. He'd spent way too much time with me on Skype going over ideas and monsters and tokens and everything. Um, but we put together two really good adventures, I think, there. And uh, we presented them at uh, Gen Con, and we took them to Gamehole Con and PAX South. And, and next uh, June, next month, we're going to um, have them at Origins for the final time in Columbus. Very cool. Yeah, I was wondering how that would work because, I'm, <clears throat> much like yourself, you know, I kind of homebrew my stuff when I'm game mastering. And it's uh, <laughs> when you start to let somebody else into your playground and uh, somebody else kind of owning slash controlling IP. So that's cool. That's, that is good. Cause I'd heard Patrick was good, was good yeah. with this type of thing, but you, you, <laughs> I'm sure you, you knew the fear better than I would of like, wow, yeah. I'm going to get in here and this guy's uh, going to be a dick. He's going to make me change stuff. He was so, it scared me on nice he was. It made me like, oh crap. Yeah. Cause it was, yeah, I was like, I don't know. It was crazy. He was like, tell me all these secrets. And I was like, and then he was like, have you read the, um, the short story, uh, about Bast, um, it was published like five years ago in this novella thing for charity. And I said, no, nope, sorry, I haven't. And he's like, well, it's kind of hard to find here. Let me just send it to you. So then I'm emailed two minutes later, shows up the original word file. Okay. <laughs> With the edits, the original word file, the edits, it's got a different title because it was the, you know, before, I guess he changed the title later. Anyway, that's how awesome he is that he was like, he's just focused on making something really good and fun. And, you know, there was no contracts or anything. It was crazy. So, yeah. So, so once, um, once Jen, so you're going to wrap up that Patrick stuff in next month in June. So what is what's new? What's coming? So when people are going to Gen Con this year and Game Hole and what and uh, those two big ones coming up, what is what should they be looking out for? What do you bring to the table now? Sure. Yeah, we we always have like these multi-year story arcs um, just to keep it fun and interesting and to help also plan um, for us. Like we, it's good to plan years in advance if we can. So we uh, we're in the this little we're coming up on the third year of a story arc, um, which luckily was about, uh, them chasing this plane hopping, uh, like illithid type character all through the, all through a bunch of planes. So that's how we were able to work Pat's world in by, by chance because they, he just popped into Terramint, I guess that's how it's pronounced. Um, and they got to go and meet, uh, Bast and then Falurian when they went to the Fae and, um, now they're popping over to uh, this Norris theme type outer plane. So the first adventure is in like the astral plane traveling. They're chasing after this mind slayer, we call them. Um, 
And then they have a couple more adventures inside this uh, Nor- Norse-type outer, good-aligned outer plane. Do you actually have people that have been with you, like, through... <clears throat> I'm assuming you, you get this, right? We've got the the couple, the team, the man, the woman, and she shows up, and she's, like, been through all of them. You know, somebody with this amazing history that makes the time to come. I'm, I'm assuming you've got a lot of repeat customers, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, the funny part is most of them end up volunteering because they have so much fun. Um, so it's <laughs> that's a good problem to have, though, right? It's not like you don't need volunteers with eat. You know? Yeah, it's it's a really cool. Um, they, they they get what we're doing and they really appreciate all the you know the f the effort and work we put into it, and then they want to be a part of it because it's just pretty dang cool. Um, and so they they usually. Uh, long-time players end up volunteering at least for one of these four conventions. So, yeah, we have a really good package. So it's it's really nice. You get you know lots of nice freebie stuff and a stipend and everything. Very cool. Are you sold out at Gen Con or no? Um, I checked like six hours ago, and we have like we have exactly two tickets left. <laughs> As we're recording this on May thirteenth, I can guarantee you the last two will be gone uh, by the time this drops. Wow. Probably. Although people do return them later, but they'll get gobbled up. But, yeah. How yeah. many um, How many tickets do you expect? So maybe this, I'm kind of pushing you to say something you're not ready to say yet. But at, at with Gen Con being the, the big granddaddy of where this is, when you hit Game Hole Con, because that's the next, next big one, you know, Sean and I being involved with Alex and stuff in this thing, mm-hmm. how many do you run there? Is that another 8,000 people running through? Or are you at 4,000, 2,000? How, how, how are you doing there? Um, I think my guess for Game Hole Con, we had two adventures last year. We did the two Rothfuss adventures there. Nice. We're gonna have three this year at Game Hole Con. Um, we're gonna we're gonna advertise and try to get you know on social media to get gamers like in Milwaukee and Chicago to know that hey, they got a chance to do something really cool up here in Madison. Um, hopefully we can get the word out. Um, but we should do probably two to three thousand. 3,000 would be a sellout. I don't think we will, but we should do 2,000 or so people up there, yeah. Very cool. Wow. I mean, 2,000 people. <laughs> Sean and I remember um, he was at Game Hole Con 1. I started going at Game Hole Con 2. We hadn't even cracked the 2,000 person mark. So to think about the fact that we could have one event there that's drawn two to 3,000 people, that's freaking yeah. awesome. Yeah. He, well, I guess I should say 2,000 tickets now some people play you know all three adventures so i don't know how many i don't know how many unique people that'll be but uh i think one of the reasons alex really wanted is there is because he sees it as a really good draw getting people to come and so we're hoping we're hoping to do that we're we've learned a little bit about you know advertising on social media so we found some things that seemed to work really well at pax south last year so we're going to try that leverage it at Game old con. We we really just got to let people know. There's just still a lot of people that have never heard of this, and you know that would once they find out, they're like, oh, I can't believe I didn't hear about this 15 years ago, but I'm coming now. And so we just got to reach those people that would really like to experience a, a highly immersive D and D adventure. Well, I'll tell you, you know, one of the things you're saying, Jeff, that I really like is that. Because it's 15 years old, one of the things that I honestly initially thought was, oh, the barrier to entry. I haven't been involved for the last five years, three years, two years. Shit, maybe this is, you know, I I won't know what's going on or whatever. But the way you describe it, where I come in and you've got that 
half hour type of time frame. You're like, look, this is how it works. This is what this does. Then you've got a simulation to go through. Okay, you, you trained, you're ready. Okay, let's go. So Sean and I go in there as total noobs. We're still going to have a damn good time because we've been trained, we understand. And uh, as long as we've got a good group to work with, you know, which is a lot of draw for any gaming any gaming event. It's not like, oh, you haven't been here for five years? Just sit back there, rookie. You're not going to run into that here. Yeah, we, I mean, we have, you know, you hear stories from people that are like, you know, I'm a newbie and I, great, I had this great group of uh, veterans that, like, were really nice. They even loaned me a little bit of tokens and helped me out, and they were great. And because people want to share their love of True Dungeons, so they're really nice to new players, you know, occasionally they run into some bad folks and I really hate to hear that. Cause you know, it's, there's not much we can do about it, about policing people's, um, you know, actions, but we really do try to communicate to everybody to be as nice as they can to everybody. And usually, um, it, it's usually the norm. Uh, if you can go on our forums, you can look around. We still have an old fashioned forum. That's really, um, I think we're up to like, well, some of them have been moved off, but we're like at a half a million posts since we started. Um, but um, it's a really nice place. Like you go there and people are really nice to you. You answer, you ask questions, and yeah, it's it's and the community is very very cool. Hey Jeff, is there any age restrictions with going through True Dungeon? Ah, damn good question. That that is a really good question. Well, um, we ask that people be thirteen or older. Um, of course, you know, as with kids, there's no ID, so you really can't enforce that, right? And every kid's different. I've got an eleven year old daughter that's like going on eighteen, <laughs> and then there's some that are, you know, it, everybody knows their own kids. So we try to say around. You know, it's like a PG-13 type because there is some startle scares we try to do sometimes, you know, um, that kind of stuff that I'd rather not give kids nightmares. So that's what we ask. Um, but, again, it's kind of hard to enforce. But if, if somebody obviously looks like they're six, uh, then we'll, we'll say something. Awesome. So, Jeff, if we want to find out more, it's truedungeon.com. Am I correct? Yeah, you can, yeah, we, we, TrueDungeon.com, you can just search, you can go to YouTube, there's a bunch of videos there as well, um, from stuff we've done over the years, and, um, and then you could also just jump on our forums, if you go to TrueDungeon.com, and if you have any questions, or you want to have any, you know, some kind of hints or whatever, uh, people would be, love to communicate with you. Um, there's plenty of the old vets that love playing with newbies. So you could even meet them there and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, uh, you can run with, they'll have like half their slots available for new folks. And, um, that's a great way to learn the game. Um, you can also volunteer, which is a really nice way to do it because, you know, you're going to get a free convention plus stipend for food and stuff. Um, and you get to kind of meet the people and that's, that's half the charm. I think of the true dungeon, um, experience for a lot of folks is just the amazing community we have. So those are the two biggies I would I would try. Very cool. Sweet man, I think we're good, Jeff. Unless you've got any parting words of wisdom, I think we're good, man. Thank you so much. All right, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
All right. Well, we want to thank we want to thank Jeff for being on the show uh, and answering our questions. Hopefully, if you get the opportunity to go to one of the conventions that True Dungeons being featured at, you will have the opportunity to to adventure and forward into the True Dungeon. Um, I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic time. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of I'm positive there's a number of uh, BSers out there who have listened, uh, who are listening to us, who either know people or have themselves been through True, True Dungeon. I know Joe Swick has, and I think a couple other people have. So if you're in, if you're interested, apart from the forums and stuff that Jeff mentions at TrueDungeon.com and so on, uh, you know, feel free to poke people on social media in our gaming and BS community and Facebook or or Google Plus, and maybe somebody out there has been out there and has got some extra tips and tricks for you. So. It sounds pretty cool, man. Maybe I'll have to see if I can give it a go. Yeah, and we'll have links to all the True Dungeon stuff um, that we can put out there to include uh, TD that events, which is for Origins. They have their own website for you to actually register for True Dungeon rather than going through the Origins website. Which and then, sucks. of course, yes. <coughs> Excuse me. And then we'll also put links out there. Uh, so that you can even volunteer. So sometimes you may be looking at becoming a participant, but they're always looking for volunteers to help them set up the 50,000 square feet of material and five semi-trucks worth of stuff. It's insane. It's nuts. Just listen. <laughs> it's so much. It's really cool, though. All right, cool. All right. So Let's think, die roll, man. Yeah, let's get into die roll. Die roll. <laughs> Damn button! <laughs> and ep- on episode two hundred, we'll have this cold, man. We'll have it cold. Man. All right. Here. So I'm, in Dyrol, we're all new here. <laughs> Dyrol space. Started, just started got, yesterday. <laughs> my boss didn't train me. <laughs> I've got one. The medieval combat world championships in pictures. Link in the show notes. This is cool stuff. Uh, for me, watching, you know, you see the stylized stuff. In uh, in movies and and so forth, and there's been videos out there about um, you know actual medieval combat, kind of how it works and so on. And for me, is is watching it. We, we've had episodes on this where we've talked about how to make combat seem or feel real, or descriptions that we need often as game masters or even as players. You know, to say, hey, I want to do this, sweeping the leg. You know, coming in, coming in with a you know a punch with my gauntlet and then dropping driving an axe or something. It's just. Um, Seeing these types of images, looking at videos and stuff of this is really cool because it just adds a level of of detail and perspective. Perspective, excuse me, that we don't often get, other than the highly stylized movie stuff. So this is kind of neat. I, I think it's pretty cool. So link in the show notes. Yeah, I uh, came up empty-handed this week. I just did not have my ducks in a row, but I will comment. So uh, comment on listeners. Shane Freeman, uh, he puts out their D and D castle in France. So if you happen to be in France or you're going to travel to France the weekend of July 1st through the 5th, 2018, which if I'm not mistaken is Bastille Days, if I'm not uh, in Paris, I think. Might be a holiday weekend. Uh, You can go and play D&D in a castle in France. It's going to have Satine Phoenix and Rudy Rutenberg there as well. Jeremy Crawford. Jeremy Crawford, yeah. It's a, you know, so if you've... Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. There you go. Uh, second one, Kev Thulu comes through with a couple of this week. Uh, he shares the Dole's house. We'll link in the show notes. 
It's a resource for Call of Cthulhu and Pulp Cthulhu fans. you want to check that out. Uh, and then his second one, he also shares a Soviet spy map that spans the years of 1950 to 1990, where the Soviet Army created incredibly detailed maps of much of the world. And so if you're running Knights Black Agents or an espionage game, Cold Shadows, Spycraft, Top Secret, there's, you know... Tons of them out there. Very cool. Covert Ops. That's Cold War era gold, man. Cold War era gold. So, yeah. Thanks for Shane and Cthulhu for sharing those. Much appreciated. Uh, so what are we talking about next week, Brett? You know, Kevin's uh, Soviet spy map thing got, got you and I thinking. I think we're going to dig into Cold Shadows. Sean has mentioned the fact that he's got a copy of Cold Shadows. I'm going to run out run out. I'll just go over to drive through and buy myself a copy. But I want to talk about Cold Shadows. It's not a Powered by the Apocalypse game. It's a different style of game. And uh, I don't want to spoil everything, but Sean's talked about it. He wants to run it. And even though we haven't run it yet, this isn't like a, hey, do you like it? Do you hate it? Or it's not a review per se. It's like, what do you think? How's it work that based on what we know, we're just going to talk about it and uh, see what we see what we come up with. So cool stuff we'll talk about cold shadows next time and maybe it'll light a fire under my rump maybe it will like that's what brett's ulterior plan is this mostly is, yeah i'm just it's over just, here with the kindling kerosene right. and a match well that's been another episode of gaming and bs thanks for tuning in i'm one of your hosts sean and i'm brett good night and good game and all the show has been oh my god i cannot talk tonight this show has been brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Mark, CMG Clover, Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, Graham Minert, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Palladian, Remy Billado, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Wayne Humfleet, James Carpio, Not Caprio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnson, Brandon Barnes, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, The Lost Sailor, Misdirected Mark Productions, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Merkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Chris Steele, Eric the Hoff Hoffman, Kyle Winter, Curtis Takahashi, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Ray Otis, Ron Bishop, Craig Huber, Xavier G, JV, John Hammersley, The Closet Gamer, John Steve, Jared Rasher, Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook, Blake Ryan, Chad Gleyman, Sky, Roger Braslett, Evan Harrison, Cass, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jim Fitzpatrick, Peter Skeynes, the Knights of the Night crew, Josh Wallace, Corey Welch, Eli Kurtz, Petiri Tertianen, Edwin Nagy, Bruce Cunnington, Aaron Coleman, Tim Shorts, Stefan Dragonspawn, Aon Agus, Roll for Guild, Gordon Cranford, Eric Salzwedo, Trezzi, George Sedgwick, Kev Lovecraft, Matt Cyberlick, Jack Neller, and Robert Nemeth. Or is it Nemeth? For ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.